Hello and welcome. Hi. Hi. Bonjour. How are you guys? I'm really good. How are you? Oh, oh my God. My phones are not it silent. <gasps> 10 pounds in the pot. Do you know what the notification was? ESG Fitness is going live and commit to six. <laughs> Cost yourself a tenner. <laughs> yep. Um, how amazing have the has the feedback been? Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. So yeah. And um, so many people, I would say more people are, are moving on to commit than aren't. I know, they? which is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um yeah, I think the majority are either even even there's folk even like maybe taking a couple of weeks out just to sort of kind of reevaluate stuff and then they're wanting to find out when the next intake of committed is. So that's you know, it's it's very, very positive. So yeah. Feedback is good. Yes, mm. I was extremely happy with all the feedback. And a couple of little changes we'll be making as well, because always looking to improve, you know, that's our motto. It's really hard to improve upon perfection, but we'll <laughs> find a way. <laughs> we'll find something. Um, I'm just trying to find the questions I had. Can I tell you like a quick story? Yes, please. Um, <laughs> right, so Andy, I think you've you've definitely covered this um, last week, but Andy uh, shared the Daily Mail article about the eggs, uh-huh. about how like half apparently half an egg what was it that said half an egg a day kills you or something it, like increases your risk of death by seven percent right okay well they go right so then we were chatting about how many eggs we ate the three of us and then i'd i'd just so happened to have five eggs that day which is probably quite a lot for me um but i just had loads of eggs and then paul said you're like gaston now you know gaston from beauty and the beast yeah Right, so in the song, it says when he was a lad, he ate four dozen eggs in the morning, and now that he's grown, he eats five dozen eggs. Uh-huh. That's that's 60 eggs a day. And then, like, I googled it, and someone's actually, like, worked out how many calories that he needs based on his body weight, and that how, how much of, like, an excess that he's in just on eggs. <laughs> and how many calories was it? Right, so they've worked out, so Gaston is six foot tall, and around 280 pounds that he needs 4,400 calories per day um, just to maintain his weight. But he's having 60 eggs a day and that's 4,680 calories. And that's just for breakfast. So I assume that Gaston eating, is eating like more than that throughout the day. He's God, how unlikely eggs. is it for this to be unrealistic? Like maybe you should contact Disney. And also tell Disney that they should not be advertising people on gear. Because that's definitely somebody that's assisted there. 4,000 calories for breakfast. (laughs) Absolute beast. So, you know, um, Stu Mack? Uh Yes. Who's a friend of mine who's a big bodybuilder. He was, like, asking me. So most people, when I start speaking about uh, leptin and appetite suppressants, are like, how can I suppress my appetite? Blah, blah, blah. He's like how can I get rid of leptin so that I can be as hungry as possible? <laughs> because he's trying to bulk and like, obviously it's hard just to fit wow. in that many calories. And do you know what? I think as much as you sort of joke about it when you're dieting or being like a petite female and it's like, mm. oh, I wish I could eat that much. I actually don't. 
like no. being full all the time would not be fun in the slightest like it might be fun for like half a day and then i think you just feel really sluggish it's mm-hmm. it's torture like i've done that as well and it's just like you you continue you're just continuously eating it's like you generally just put down one rare tub and you're like shit i need to pick up the set in the next one um yeah and i day, mean andy like i'm i think he's probably eating slightly more than you did oh 100 definitely but have you did you see um did you see Chris Hemsworth who plays Thor in the Marvel films? So he there's another Mark Thor film coming out and his his stunt double is like this is the worst I've ever felt because he's put on Chris Hemsworth's put on so much size. This guy's like having to like keep up with him because he's obviously got to look the same sort of dimensions as him on screen when he's doing his stunts. He goes it's disgusting. I'm like, he goes, I don't stop eating. He goes, the size that I'm at, I'm still having to like throw myself downstairs and over stuff and chuck myself around. He goes, my ligaments and tendons Surely are getting Surely they back. could just get him to like, don't know, wear like shoulder pads or something. Yeah. Probably, but like, I saw I saw a video of Chris Hemsworth and he is looking fucking ridiculous. Like he's he's also he's also going to be playing Hulk Hogan apparently in a film coming up as well. So he's obviously putting a bit of size on for both of them, but he looks monstrous. Like hmm. it's frightening. Wow. So that but, would be your search history um, on Google, Shona. It's been um, a long week already, and we're only on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> What's what what's the last thing you googled, Andy? I don't know. Does um does Mac bring up what you've your last thing you've googled? Just go on your phone and open your internet. So one hundred percent. This is what Google's apparently had. Oh no, this is trending searches. Trending searches. Princess Latifah, Dubai, Shrove Tuesday pancake recipes. No, that's not interesting. So basically, <laughs> why I find this interesting and like the the uh i guess why i've been asking people is that i read a book and it's basically making the point that google searches kind of show really what people are thinking whereas facebook and instagram just show what you want people to think that you're thinking or like the life that you want people to think that you lead and it's really interesting and i think more and more hannah will probably love this but because we've got these like data sets we can see where people are lying. And it's so interesting that people actually lie to themselves quite a lot as well. So even in like completely anonymous surveys where you're like, there's no benefit to lying whatsoever, but people like massively overestimate things like how much sex they have, how much money they earn, like all these things, even though, why are you lying to a survey about how much money you earn? Mm. Like adds no benefit. Or like, why are you lying about how much sex you have? Because it's not, it's not like anyone is ever going to know that. Like it's an anonymous survey, mm-hmm. but yet you'd still, and I almost think it's like creating a lie in your head. Like you've lied to yourself so much that like, yeah, you have sex every week. And the fact is you don't, but you, because you've told yourself that lie so much, you kind of start to believe it. It's quite interesting. Yeah. I think, I think as well, like, I think you'll also have a number of people similarly to the people that think that there's a microchip in the vaccinations that anonymous surveys are not anonymous. 
so they don't want to put anything down that might actually end up coming out. Because remember we talked about in the last podcast about, remember we talked about the question, if you could take something that was going to guarantee you a gold medal, that 10 years later it would take 10 years off your life. They redid that question in 2004 or 2005, and the percentage was like a tiny percentage would said that, which I think is probably a lie. I think there'd be much bigger percentages saying that, yes, they would do that because that's what they do. That's what they're wanting to compete for. But because it's an anonymous survey, they don't want to be caught. It's an anonymous survey. Oh, but it's not. There's your name. You've said yeah. that you'll take something, so we're now going to start testing you. I think a lot of people will probably think that, well, how anonymous Yeah, but actually? I just don't see, like, for example, There's things no... that you know that people, like, for example, if you yeah. lie about how much money you earn on a survey, that's quite, it's quite easy to prove that you're lying. Yeah. So 100%. what's the benefit there? Like I think I think yeah. you might be partly right in certain things, but yeah. I think, it's, I think as well though that the, the whole sort of social media thing is you know it's it's as I say like I, I I like it but I also hate it. It's got some real bad sides to it. I think people always want to show the life that they want to live rather than the life they actually are living. It's like what you put one up recently about the fact that if you have to, if you have, what was it you said? If you have to justify that you're real, you probably aren't. Was it something along oh, those lines? If you have to tell people that you're authentic, you're probably not authentic. 100%. Like, so people are jamming stuff up, you know, Photoshop, like, honestly, I've got a, one of my real talks is going to be on this, like later on this week, like Photoshop, is going to make things so difficult going forward because you don't actually know if you're meeting the person that's in front of you. Like, that's not the same person from It's Instagram. not even Photoshop. It's just, like, dog filters and... <laughs> all the shit. Yeah. But it is. It's true. Like, you see all these, you know, using the influencers. Oh, I'm living in Dubai. Like, you know, who fucking cares? Like, nobody gives a shit. Like, I'm living my, I'm living my best life, which is my most... I, fucking hate that saying i'm living my best life <laughs> shut up honestly have you ever met or worked with a compulsive liar because I, I i have um a couple of times and i find them just so fascinating because they really truly believe the things that they tell you and that's what is is just amazing and the things that they'll tell you like emma said are so easily unpicked apart but they believe it and you're like, you almost don't want to even like question them on it because you're like, you're quite happy in that little... Pull them every time. Yeah. Oh no, I don't bother. What's like, what's the point? No. Like, if someone could, no. like, I've I've worked with compulsive liars as well, but it's like really stupid stuff that mm. I'm like, I don't even care that, that like, oh, yeah, like, what were you doing this morning? Oh, I had five clients. It's like, it's only 7 a.m. Like, yeah. no, you have like, there's absolutely no way that you could have done that. But I'm, I'm like, why would I care as well? But it's so, it is, I find it fascinating. Like, yeah. why are you I lying like, about that? I like seeing the fluster when you do. You don't even need to do it massively, just like like, like that. So 7 a.m., you've had five clients, then walk away. And then you can watch their face go, like that. You don't even need to be there for the retort. Just turn and walk. You don't need to, you just drop the hand grenade and walk away. It's fine. It's all good. I once worked with a guy and like his stories were just so ridiculous that I was like, I can't wait for the next one. Like he told me that um, he lived in like Clyde Bank or something and that he said that he had a pet owl and that he'd been, um, there'd been a picture taken of him in the local paper walking down the street with his owl and that like everyone was laughing at him and bullying him for it. And I was like, 
all it would take was for me to Google Clyde Bank Owl, and I would find that this art- article does not exist. But it but was like that's so obscure. It's so obscure that I'm like, I kind of like believe it because why would you come up with that? But it, it was not true. But yeah, that's what I mean. Like, what I think it's almost like I really want to be an interesting person. I want to be liked. Here's a really interesting story about me. When that's not how friendships and relationships really work is it it's not based on like how interesting exciting your life is we love you because you're a boring bastard (laughs) (laughs) sorry despite the fact you're a boring bastard that's why we love you (laughs) uh no do you know what i think shane is a really good storyteller and i often think it's not the story necessarily that matters but it's like the way people tell it yeah it's uh, but that's like Billy Connolly said that. Billy Connolly never, ever wrote jokes. He, yeah, but I don't think he's that funny. Oh, I think he is undoubtedly one of the best comedians ever to have walked the earth. But It's quite he, basic, though, isn't it? But that's but that's the beauty of it. His it's, only joke is being, like, so Scottish. I'm not particularly... There's a lot of quite intricate stuff in there if you go and listen to it. But he's like, if you... like, All he if did was... you have to got your wellies, where would you be? <laughs> he, has, he has his story, but it's it's the how you tell it and the story around the actual bit in the middle. Shona's good at that. Oh, thanks. Cheers. Are you talking about me or another Shona? Well, it's not it's not Shona that I train with anyway, because her part is shite. <laughs> Your university degree was put to good use, Shana. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Okay, are you ready for question one? Yes. Do it. Thoughts on limited range of motion over full range of motion for hypertrophy? Full range of motion is going to win the argument just due to the fact that you're getting the full range of the muscle moved, everything's moving, all the muscle fibers, etc. I do still think that there are there are um, there are there is a place for sort of stuff like partial reps, um, things towards when you're getting towards failure, towards the end of sets. Um, you know, rather than doing like drop sets, you might do partial reps rather than full range reps. But I think. There's, I don't really think you can, com- I don't think you can compare them in this terms of which is better. I think. Well, you can they- because there's been a study on that. <laughs> yeah, what about squats? Because that seems to be a bit of a debate, doesn't it? Like whether. Well, this is no. So this is there's a study on this. So it's shallow squats versus deep squats, right. and Andy is completely right that the full range of motion um, had a bigger impact on hypertrophy of the quads. Um, So they obviously compared, like the benefit of training partials is that you can lift a heavier weight. Yeah. But I think what some people miss as well is like, all right, but what about progressive or or what about volume? Like you could create higher volume quite easily with partial reps. Mm. But people forget that part of volume is the work done effectively. And work done is like weight moved over distance. So if yeah. you're reducing that distance by only squatting to a quarter, then actually effectively the work done is less. So the argument for um, doing partials or like reduced range of motion is that you could lift a heavier weight. But the argument for doing full range is that you obviously get full range of motion and you're probably doing more quote unquote work. And this yeah. study showed that lifting heavier weights with only partial movement wasn't as effective as lifting lighter weights at full depth. 
Yeah, so I think it's, yeah, definitely. Okay, um, and then another question, which was a follow-on from this, was about push-ups and how much uh, different angles of push-ups impacted. And Andy, didn't you do a post on this, like the percentage of body weight you're lifting when you do a push-up? I think I did, but I don't. I can't remember. I don't know if I can. I'll try to find it. If not, I'll I'll reshare it again. Okay, well, I looked it up because I'm pretty sure that you posted it. And I, I think, so the full, and a quote-unquote normal push-up is like 65% of your body weight. And I think if you um, increase the angles, you can obviously, oh, sorry, if you elevate your feet, then obviously it's slightly more. If you elevate your upper body, then obviously it's slightly less. But yeah. it's about 65% of your body weight when you do a push-up. Yeah. I think also as well, there's the... I think the number one issue with push-ups is is that we've gone through a mass amount of people getting taught how to do box push-ups, which is the one where your knees bent under your hips. And that push-up is a real horrible progression to try then to teach you to do off your toes because your arse is up in the air. It's when you end up having somebody like pushing up like a pyramid. Um, you're better to do a, a video. If you have a look through the Commit to Six group, there's a one of the videos in there is that your regression on a push-up should always be working from your toes down to the floor. Then your knees touch the deck. You push back up off your knees and you always do the downward phase on your toes. It's just a better way of teaching control of your of that 65% of your body rather than like a box push-up is like literally you could, kicking me, it's it's not even challenging. It's not challenging Try for me. <laughs> Even even somebody who's even it's somebody Billy who's Conley again. Billy Conley. Um, even somebody who is, has never done a push up in their life will smash out fifty box push ups because they're just so easy. Um, yeah, the only thing I would add to that is I think um, another good progression is like elevating your hands. So like, yeah. obviously mm-hmm. use a surface that's not going to slip, but like a sturdy table or something is usually better than a box push up. Because yep. and and I like your progression, Andy, that you use. But isn't that like primarily eccentric loading? Yeah. Um, which is great, but I think sometimes it's easy. Or like, I would do both. Is what I'm yeah. saying. If you're trying to work towards a push up, I would I would do both. Using like a Smith machine or something like that, or a squat rack, are really good for for that angled push up where you can have the bar slightly higher and drop it down a level each time you want to progress or move it up when it gets too hard so nice it's a nice another nice ladder like a ladder um ladder progress for um, movement forward and push-ups all right um those are the questions i had from check-ins i've got one um right here we go uh I don't know if this is even a question. Is there some sort of weird mental switch that flicks after you've been resistance training for a while or lost weight where all of a sudden it becomes a thing to flex in the mirror? I don't think I've ever sort of monitored slash checked out myself flexing in the mirror, but apparently I do now. Maybe it's an increase in vanity in a good way, I guess. A confidence increase. Or maybe it's just that I can actually see muscles now that I couldn't before so I can actually see progress. I think this is a good little discussion point. What do you think? Like, just it's about question about like vanity and flexing. I don't think it's so much about vanity. I think there's maybe an aspect of that, but I do think that 
I think it's a good sign. I think it means well, yeah, that like... you're now moving away from like just focusing on fat loss and you're like mm-hmm. seeing this process, but not only that you're seeing it, but that you're kind of a bit excited about it. So you can yeah. like you want to see in the mirror that oh look, I can see changes. And actually it's a really cool thing to be able to see your body change. Like I couldn't see my biceps before and now I have little biceps. Like that's actually so underrated as like a marker of progress or just like something that you notice about yourself like I don't see it as being particularly different than oh I can fit in these jeans now that I couldn't before Mm. and and in some ways like cooler in a way like oh my god like I actually have some muscle now that's noticeable and I look like I lift some weights that's that's amazing progress my point was that it's totally not vanity at all like um to to be checking yourself out and appreciating what you've done because with, in my opinion, there's not really much in life that is literally a sign of all the hard work and dedication that you put in <laughs> training. Um, like building muscle, like no one else can take that away from you and only you did that. That was a result of your hard work and your consistency. And yeah, I, I agree with you, Emma. It's like, it's moving away from just seeing fat loss and seeing all the other benefits that you've been getting from your training. That's uh, and a, that is such it. a good point about like only you can do it and I think yeah. that's what makes someone someone's physique really impressive like in all other areas of life and I'm not saying that everything's equal with your body like there are certain like genetic traits and things but to a very large extent you get out what you put in and mm. equally you don't get out what you don't put in so it, yeah. it's quite obvious to see if someone's worked hard like if someone has an impressive physique they haven't got it by accident they've Mm. got it from working hard and that's what makes like having big shoulders or being able to do a pull-up or the muscle that you've been able to build that's what makes it impressive because there's no way that you could have got there like anabolic steroids aside without hard work and like even with steroids like it's still hard work there there isn't a, a shortcut to doing that like you have to put in the work and that's what makes it impressive yeah, two things. Probably two things I would suggest is that if you're starting to see the differences in the mirror yourself, that is one of the major progress points because you're always the last person to see your own progress in the mirror. Like, you know, different to the three of us, we kind of know when our shape changes and we start to see the change. But if you're, you know, the first time that you see yourself and you're like, oh my god, I've like my, I can see definition in my shoulders and my triceps. But that's a massive win. That's a huge win, like because we're always, especially with females. It, like I've worked like my percentage of females to males. I've worked with a bigger percentage of females over my career as a PT, and they're all females are always the last person to see the good things. Males are like, I've got great arms, beer belly, mate. We've got a beer belly. Women, honestly. Oh, I've just got a, I've got a wee bit of stubborn fat that's sitting on my hips. You've got a six pack apart from that, and you've got amazing shoulders. Like you completely gloss over all the good stuff, but you see the stuff that you can still work on. Um, and I think that the second point that I would make on that is is that vanity's vanity is a totally worthwhile goal. I'm sorry, but like I'm I'm a kick in the arse of a 40 years old. I want to look good naked. I'm not going to show you as anybody, but. I want to look good naked. I want to be confident in my body at the age I'm at. So mm-hmm. if vanity is a goal for, like, I, I 
I couldn't give a shit if somebody says, Vanity's not a worthwhile goal. So do you. It's a, it's a goal for me. I want to look good. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. That's why I train. Do you know what the definition of vanity good. is? <clears throat> shit. Excessive pride in one's appearance, qualities, abilities, achievements, character, or... Oh, no, wait, that's the next part. <clears throat> I think that, like... I think that that's I think, quite quite a good thing to be. I think it's often used as negative. Like, I mean, being excessively vain and only caring about that is obviously a negative. But I think to some extent, like most of us, and especially our client population, and almost the exact point Andy's just making, women tend to find their flaws in everything. And if we could all be like a little bit more pride um proud of our own appearance appearances appearances qualities abilities and achievements i think that's a really good thing especially oh. given that most of us tear ourselves apart most of the time and in in many ways like that definition is like the opposite of self-critiquing yourself constantly which is essentially what most people's like inner voice is like you're not good enough oh look at that look at Look at that tiny amount of fat that you have here. Look at that slight bingo wing when you're scrunched over, you've got rolls, blah, blah, blah. Like the complete normal things. If we could actually take a little bit more pride and be like, I'm really proud of my triceps. Like I worked hard to develop these. And I think being proud of something that you worked hard to achieve is even more, is like a much more useful feeling than being proud of something well it's harder to be proud of something that you've just sort of fallen upon or that came very easy to you yeah 100 percent. i've got another question um okay so what exercises target your sort of middle abs like where you'd get a vertical line down the center of your abs if you get me is it just sort of standard ab work that does that and certain people just develop that or is it something you actually train for? It's genetic makeup of your abs, isn't it? Depends on it. a lot of it. Will depend on how your your the musculature of your abdominals sit. So some people will have that def, that defined line down the middle. Some people will have a very less of a defined line, so it looks like it's lined rather than actual individual abdominals. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's you know looking to train abs as as we always say you know and the abdominals are a muscle you've got to train them to be able to or train them like any other muscle uh, and then uncover them by chipping away the the fat around it to see what it looks like what does it mean like this is a question from me now so see when i'm lean and i can see my abs they don't sit like next to each other they're like one there one there one there one there so my theory on abs is it's like someone's fingerprint in that everyone's abs are so different and it's quite interesting when you see but even when you look at like bodybuilding shows everyone's ab makeup is slightly different and you're right some people have like complete like blocks that are like in a row other people Mm -hmm. have like slightly skewed abs and there doesn't like none of it's to do with how you train yeah, and to I some read, extent, I, I, I think it's to do it. with how you tense, because right. I can tense my abs in like two different ways. And I think uh, most people can if they've got good control over it. But like one of them would be like a really defined line down the middle and the other is like quite blocky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a push out and a pull in. 
it's like you're it's yeah but like it's not like the whole vacuum thing no 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 it's just holding them tight and bringing them in together um but yeah you're, you're totally right like you look at any kind of physique show or bodybuilding mm. show and the, the, the there's like all abdominals look pretty impressive when you can see them but you know you'll have different ones as, as emma mentioned you'll have the the sort of the stereotypical eight pack that's like and like a it's like a A4 piece of paper and they can line up completely. Or you have other ones who've got you know, there's a few guys who've got really good abdominals that do sort of the men's physique stuff at Olympia, but they're kind of slightly out, so like one sits like a half an inch lower than the other. But still unbelievable looking abs. But Well that's how mindset and I remember Googling it uh and i literally just clicked on the first thing um and it was like you're imbalanced and i was like how how can that be the case because there's nothing i could do to fix that like they are literally like one there and then one's like half an inch down and then one's half an inch down and it's, i was so disappointed it's that, <laughs> it's that age old google something and you're going to find yeah. something you don't want to find you're yeah, imbalanced exactly. wait a minute i'm not even i've not been looking you're about imbalanced imbal- and pay me this money for me to fix you <laughs> I don't okay, Mr. Poliquin. Like, <laughs> begin to do to like fix that, like maybe like a side, just crunching on one side. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Stupid. <laughs> cool. Um, all right, I've got one from um, the the post that we had in the Facebook group. Uh, there's three questions. Um, number one. Weight gain and weight loss. I have put on about ten pounds since Christmas. It took me three months to lose that ten pounds in the first place. I've been training consistently as always and steps are 14 to 16K. I've put on weight because I've been tracking and I've been over calories slightly but only really at maintenance with the odd soft binge. To be honest, it's not the scales that bother me, it's the aesthetic that I'm not happy with. Um, Jesus, Did that say soft point. binge? Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Assuming this is water, glycogen, and can we just can we just make a point on that first? So like bin and and this isn't a dig at this person at no. all. I think that binge eating is now thrown around as like a term that just means slightly overeating. Like binge eating is a an eating disorder. Like a binge eating disorder is an eating disorder and needs to be treated as such. And and we should stop using the word binge as just. Like a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I had a binge on Friday. And it's like, no, you sat down and you had a pizza with your boyfriend. Like that's not a binge. And I think sometimes it can be hard to differentiate these things. And I think the most clear thing for me is a binge is something that like while it's happening, you don't feel like you can stop. Like if it feels out of control, then potentially that's a binge. And and when I've spoken to Amelia about this, who does a lot more work in this area than I do, and I sort of questioned her on it. I was like, what? So even if it was just me eating 300 extra calories, if I feel out of control, that's a binge. And she's like, yeah, it's not about how much you eat per se. Like, and her example again is like, she will quite happily sit down and eat a whole Domino's pizza mindfully and enjoy it. In, and consciously, like maybe she does get to a point where she's very full, but she's consciously doing it. And she's chosen to do it and at any point if if someone said you need to stop eating now she could stop eating now and i think that's the difference it's not how many calories you ate it's how you feel while you're eating them i think that that's the differentiation there um so i just wanted to i thought that was a good point to make on that topic yeah yeah um okay um 
the last three times I've lost consistent fat consistently through committed or the EC method, I've then put it back on each time. Despite keeping to all my non-negotiables in terms of steps and workouts and protein, but being over on calories as I've clearly gone above and I've gained weight, I always seem to then rebound self-sabotage. So would this rebound and weight gain be less likely if I have a more modest deficit over a longer spell? I don't think I feel restricted in fat loss, but I must be subconsciously, otherwise I wouldn't go off the wagon in between. Uh, my long-term goal is to continue to build strength and improve body composition, so maybe the answer is a modest, more modest deficit over a longer time. I think in this situation, I wouldn't put you back into a deficit. I would put you at maintenance, which you're not at at the moment. Although you, I think in somewhere in there you mentioned maintenance, but if you've put on 10 pounds, you're not at maintenance. Like That's just simple maths so we need to get you to a point where you are at maintenance i don't particularly want to put you back into a diet because i think this is becoming a bit of a cycle and i think if you are struggling even slightly with binging that's something we need to focus on first before we even consider dieting so bringing you to maintenance getting you in a good routine focusing on things like it is it's great that you're questioning like why does this keep happening this is becoming a bit of um a bit of like yo-yo this is becoming something that has happened a couple of times why am i self-sabotaging like do i feel restricted is it food choices do i feel like lack of focus when i'm not in fat loss do i have a short-term mindset to this do i have a bit of an all or nothing approach to this and like those are things that we need to figure out rather than just put you back into dieting again yeah cool Okay, question number two. Protein after training. I strength train in the morning, 5 till 6 a.m., 5.30 till 6 a.m. I then go to, for a walk straight after to get some steps in before I have to take over from the hubby on mum duty and work. I don't have time to eat beforehand, so I make sure I have a good dinner and protein before bed so I'm fueled for the morning. My issue is that I'm not getting, I'm not great at getting protein in straight after my workout. My question is, is it better to have a protein shake after training while I walk? I hate this as I don't enjoy drinking my calories or have my preferred choice of protein, yogurt and fruit, but this wouldn't be until about 9am. I'm trying to time it for muscle protein, protein muscle synthesis, but also make it realistic for my home life. Good question. And I think this comes down to cost benefit. And I think that you need the information to make a good decision on this. So effectively, I I would probably sway towards personally sitting down and having some protein yogurt even and because you're going to enjoy it more than the protein shake on your walk. Now, is that quote unquote optimal for muscle protein synthesis? Technically no, but given that your rates of muscle protein synthesis will be elevated for about 48 hours and slowly come down over that period of time. So it's like 48 hours from resistance training until they would be back down to like your baseline levels. Given that you've actually got quite a large time period there, I don't think you need to worry too much about getting it in one hour post-workout. Now, it's not like you're waiting until lunchtime. It's like a couple of extra hours, if that. So I like that's that's sort of the choice that you have to make weighing up given the cost uh, of like if you're going to enjoy eating the protein ver- and 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 also the impact that has on not just the enjoyment of that meal but how easy it is to stick to your calories for the rest of the day and your adherence levels 
and the very small potential benefit you would get from having a post-workout shake. Yeah. I'd, and you can I... tell I'm obviously slightly biased about that, but like that's your decision to make. But what, and I think like the reason that I'm putting it that way and the reason that we kind of always answer questions that way is that <coughs> you need to make that decision, but we're here to give you the context of it. So to give you the information so that you can weigh up the pros and cons of that decision and decide that given your values, given your goals, what's the best outcome or like what's the best decision for you? Yeah, I think you're, you're totally right. The answer's all, the, for me, the answer's in the question. I prefer my choice of protein, yogurt and fruit at 9 a.m., in which case, don't overthink it. Enjoy your fruit and pr your protein, yogurt and fruit at 9 a.m. Don't take in calories that you're not enjoying and you're not satiated with. You know, that's, the, the, you know, you're not, we're not high level athletes where you're having to force these things in. We're at a p position where you need to be flexible to enjoy life, to have our, a good routine with life, with food, all that stuff. So forcing yourself to do something that you don't like, that has a, a probably a small, small to marginal benefit to it. Just go for, go for what you enjoy. Agreed. Um, I think, and yeah, if this was like a much longer time period, like, oh, I'm going to fast until lunch and you hadn't eaten until the day before, then I'd be like, yeah, let's get in the protein serving before then. But given it's just like an extra hour than what might be quote unquote optimal and you're not, you know, you don't have anabolic resistance because you're 70, um, I think you'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. And the final question to this is creatine. I know that water weight gain is normal when taking creatine, but I've recently seen a well-known and respected PT promoting their own brand of creatine supplement. This is where it starts to go, yeah, alert systems. Um, a well-known and respected PT. PT okay. Promoting their own brand of creatine that claims to have less sodium and therefore less likely to cause water weight on the scales. Um, is this an accurate claim? No. Wait, is there sodium and creatine monohydrate? No. Well, it might be like a supplement that has lots of things in it, though. Yeah, but who take like we've told people just to take creatine monohydrate. Yeah. Right? Like, in, yeah. <laughs> I love when just... people just create like these straw man arguments of like, yeah, if you took this really shit supplement, mine's better yeah. than it. But no one's yeah. taking the shit supplement. I, I mean, as far as I know, creatine doesn't have sodium in. No, I'm pretty sure creatine monohydrate is literally creatine monohydrate. That's all it is. There's nothing else to it. That's what I would have thought. But now I'm like questioning myself because let me just have a little Google search. <laughs> I don't know why I turned into the old man from up, but... Shona, you can you can sing and keep us busy while Emma. No, I'm, I'm googling it as well. <laughs> it's all gone quiet. Uh, I'm not singing. No, I think. I think it's literally. It's just a hundred percent creatine monohydrate. Uh -huh. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. I'm pretty sure. It's just, that's exactly what's in it. But if um, someone's selling a supplement, they're not going to just sell something that you could buy elsewhere. They're selling like probably a blend of lots of different things. Yeah, but their their point is that theirs has less 
right. sodium than just yeah. taking creatine, which... I think you're right. That sounds like a straw man. Even, even then, like, I'm looking at the my protein one just now. Yeah, I just looked it's... at bulk powders, which is why I just got mine, and it's just yeah. 100%. So this one's 76% creatine monohydrate, and it's got... It, but this is the stuff that's flavoured. It's got sweetener, sucrose in it, citric acid. So, but it's so probably are... not going to have salt in it. The only one that I can I can think of like that is, is creatine ethyl ester, um, which is possibly the most revolting thing you could ever taste. It's genuinely like salt. It's like seawater with extra salt. It is horrific. And it's it was one of these things that pink people was like, oh yeah, creatine ethyl ester. You know, it's it's better than creatine monohydrate because it doesn't promote, it doesn't cause bloating. Well, no, it, it does. If people will hold water, no yeah, matter you, what. Yeah, I you... mean, imagine you would hold much more water if there's any like sodium yeah, in that. It just tasted like absolute. Cr- like you put it into orange juice, and the orange juice was like salty orange juice. It was horrific mm. stuff. But. Creatine, as we as we say regularly with creatine on the sort of podcast and stuff like that, creatine is creatine. Go for the cheapest option, creatine monohydrate. You don't need anything that's got bells and whistles on it. It's simple as five grams per day, done. That's all you need to know. Perfect. Nice and simple. All right, lovely. So we, if we got to the end of the questions for today. Yeah, yep. that's the questions done in there. Excellent. And this is kind of like the the quiet week before Commit to Six launches, which is very exciting. So Commit to Six is now open for sign up and we will shut that on Friday and then get everyone started over the weekend and start on Monday. And we've got a VIP, although do you, or, or are we not saying about the VIP? Who's the VIP? Shona. What? You just messaged me about the VIP. Oh, there is a VIP. Yes. Um, part of the Shona family. Oh. My my sister my sister's planning on, on joining and then she might even uh, get her husband to join as well, which would be next level. That would actually be next level. That sounded so influency. That would be next level. And I'm living my best life right now. <laughs> He would live his best life if he did commit. <laughs> okay, oh. awesome. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. If you want to join Commit to Six, you only have a couple of days to do so. So head over to esgfitness.co.uk. If you're watching this live in the group and you know someone who would benefit from Commit to Six, then referrals are like the best thing ever. So please do refer. We would love that. Thanks, guys. Bye. Ciao.